Hi. Welcome to the first CGOB Sports Show podcast of 2020. On this episode, just two segments. We will look back at a crazy wildcard weekend in the NFL. But first, the 2020 class. The Manitoba Curling Hall of Fame has been announced. Who's going in? Talk to Peter Nichols about that on the podcast. Manitoba's Curling Hall of Fame has announced its 2020 inductees, and the selection committee chair is Peter Nichols, who joins us on the show tonight. Peter, how are you doing tonight? Very well, thanks. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Great to have you on. Uh, Before we get to the 2020 class, first of all, just explain uh, the Curling Hall of Fame process, how you go about picking who goes into the Hall of Fame. That's a that's a great question, Christian. Really, there's there's two opportunities. We have a selection committee that looks at uh, like a number of people, curlers, um, uh, builders, teams every year. But there's also a process where if, if the general public and curlers uh, want to nominate someone who they think is um, appropriate appropriate to be in the curling hall of fame, there, there's an application form they can get on the Curl Manitoba website and they can fill it out. And uh, it'll come into the selection committee's hands, and and we review those, and we make some some difficult and some pretty easy decisions every year to see uh, who we induct. How long has the Hall of Fame been around? That's a great question. I just a uh, good thing I brought up my notes here. <laughs> this is our thirty third uh, year of honoring um, um, inductees. So okay, uh, yeah. Is there a physical location for the hall? Um, well, we do have. Um, we're actually the, the Manitoba Curling Hall of Fame and Museum, and one of our goals is to to eventually um, create a virtual museum. We have over forty thousand artifacts, and some are stored, uh, you know, just uh, in the Sport Manitoba building, and some in a just a, a warehouse just across the street from that. So we don't really have a um, a museum per se, uh, but we do have. Um, you know, sometimes we have displays on it, different. We had a display on it, Gimli, last year for the Manitoba Scotties, and, and we'll set up displays um, as needed for curling events. All right, so let's get to the class of 2020. Let's start with the sure. curlers, Vic Peters, Chris Newfeld, uh, two legends of the of the sport. Absolutely, and I think it's pretty appropriate that we're inducting both Vic and uh, Chris in the same uh, year because, as, as many curlers, curling fans know, they were, you know, played together for many, many years. Uh, Chris, uh, uh, often known as Denny, as the second, and, and Vic as the skip. And unfortunately, we lost Vic about three years ago to cancer. But um, uh, awesome to have two two really fantastic curlers and and two who who you know Vic Peters with uh, Karen Burtnick and and uh, Jeff Stout, uh really dominated those teams, dominated curling in Manitoba sort of for the '90s and early 2000s. So. Uh, we're really excited to be in, uh, inducting both Vic and, and Chris uh, this year. Is there a bittersweetness, though, to this, uh, not being able to do it while Vic was alive? Absolutely. Absolutely. It, um, I think it, it shocked a lot of us when, when we lost Vic. And, um, um, you, you know, Vic, Vic and Denny uh, both were inducted uh, uh, as part of a team uh, years before. So Vic was around for an induction um, uh, as part of his Canadian Championship, uh, Briar Championship team, but uh, yeah, it, it always is is tough when you're uh, in inducting someone posthumously. Now, explain the difference between inducting someone as part of a team. You're you're honoring that specific unit as opposed to the the curler, the I guess the collective more than the individual. 
Absolutely, absolutely. So um, I, I think it's similar in other sports as well. Um, there are appropriate times to induct teams that have been very successful. Often we'll induct uh, Canadian Championship and World Championship teams. And, uh, you know, if we talk a little later about the two teams we're inducting this year, you'll see that. Uh, but then people can also be inducted as a, you know, as an individual for their successes and contributions over over many years, not just for an individual uh, season or, or a, a team. Right. We'll get to the teams in just a sec, but we'll uh, sure. mention the final curler getting inducted, and that is Karen Purdy, who has a number of medals for her name. Yeah, yeah. Karen, and again, curling fans will know that Karen was uh, was an icon in Manitoba curling um, sort of between sort of the mid-'80s and, and the end of the 1990s. Karen currently resides in Regina, but um, in those 10 or 11 or 12 years, She's one of the few people in Manitoba who won three different categories of provincial championships. So she was a, a junior women's champion, a women's champion, and a mixed champion. Uh, and, and she you know, won a number of championships, um, uh, playing with Connie Laliberti and skipping herself as well. So the teams, we got two different eras. A, a lot of love for the 80s in the induction this year uh, as Darcy Kirkness's junior women's team from 84 uh, gets the nod, and then Jeff Stoughton's World Championship team from 2011 also getting the nod. Let's start with uh, Darcy Kirkness's team and why they're getting the nod this year. Right, so Darcy uh, Darcy Kirkness, uh, now Robertson, right. and her sister Barb, uh, were part of the team at Janet Harvey, um, and then there's also Barb Fetch, who's now Barb uh, Mailing. Um, so they were a pretty dominant junior curling team for a number of years, I think in the early 1980s. 82 and 83, they they were close to winning. And then in 1984, they won the Manitoba Championship and went on to win the Canadian Championship. And that that team, at that time, there was no uh, World uh, Junior Championship. So they were as successful as they could have been. So they rose to the pinnacle of junior curling uh, in Canada at that time. So, you know, as we look back on teams that have been successful in Manitoba over the years, there are just so many, Christian, that have that have won. Right. Um, sometimes uh, it, it um, because we've only had, and it sounds like a lot, we've only had 33 years of doing this. Sometimes, sometimes it takes a while to acknowledge and, and induct all those teams that have won Canadian or World Championships. And so the uh, selection committee has a, a number of teams that we want to induct over the next number of years. Um, some going as far back as, as the 1980s. So um, that's why I, I guess it's taken uh, this long um, uh, to in, induct a team like Darcy's team. I, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that um, included with the team is, is their coach, Jim Kirkness. And we're really at the, at the Curry Hall of Fame. We've done some work recently to, to look at our selection criteria and to really, I guess, reflect that changing nature of the game and, and the contributions that, that coaches have made. Uh, so in the past, we haven't had a whole lot of coaches that have been inducted to the Curling Hall of Fame. But this year, Jim will be inducted with um, you know his two daughters uh, and the rest of the team. So we're pretty excited about our new criteria and, and really uh, the fact that I think uh, coaches are, are, uh, create, are, are really having a bigger role in the success of teams than they were many years ago. Talking with Peter Nichols, he's the selection committee chair for the Manitoba Curling Hall of Fame. Uh, Jeff Stoughton, obviously one of the all-time curlers in this province and 
really his last great run, you could, I guess, say the 2011 World Championship team, the most recent Manitoba men's team to capture the world men's title. Right, right. And, and all curlers will know that, I mean, arguably, you know, the most prolific and the most successful Manitoba curler of all time. Um, so I can't wait to hear it. Jeff Coons have been previously inducted many, many times as as um, Canadian uh, champions. So it's not new for Jeff, but we obviously need to to um, acknowledge the the 2011 World Championship team, which was uh, Jeff at skip and John Mead at third, um, Reed Crothers at second, and Steve Gould at lead. And with this team as well. Um, we're going to induct the coach Norm Gould, who's Steve's brother, as well as the fifth Garth Smith, who both played significant roles in, throughout the season and, and in, in their run, you know, through uh, Manitoba Championships, the uh, Briar, as well into the uh, the World Championship. So, um, again, not much more needs to be said about Jeff's uh, accomplishments, and, um, but it, it is important that we acknowledge all of our uh, championships over over the many years. And then the builder category, Ernie Oliver and Resby Coots uh, going in. We're all familiar with Resby. He's been on the air a lot with us over the years. But uh, right, right. talk about the impact of both Oliver and Coots have had for curling in this province. Sure, sure. I'll, I'll start with Ernie Oliver because curlers probably, when we get to the builder categories, sometimes curlers don't don't understand the contributions of people who do so much work behind the scenes. And, you know, until this year and we got the uh, nomination for Ernie, I didn't really know a whole lot about Ernie Oliver either, but really across Manitoba, he's recognized as a driving force behind the establishment of the growth of a two-person stick curling league. He really took it upon himself uh, in, I'm going to say, about 2005. To He actually created the rules for the two-person stick game, where we went from eight rocks um, to six, and then he shortened the, the game to six ends. Uh, and he went across Manitoba um, doing clinics and teaching people about the game. And really, you know, over the last 15 years, the two-person stick leagues have grown tremendously uh, in Manitoba and across Canada. And I think now there are stick leagues, and uh, I understand 23 curling clubs uh, in Manitoba and, you know, across Canada and even, um, you know, in some world venues as well. So Ernie was a driving force early on. Uh, he also competed, and early, uh, I think he was, a, I believe he's a five-time winner of the Manitoba two-person stick curling championships. He was involved in the establishment of the uh, Manitoba championship, as well as the first Canadian championship, which was in, at, I think, Fort Rouge uh, in 2008. So um, just, a you know, one of the many, many curlers who do a lot of things for curling behind the scenes. And uh, I know Ernie was very excited at the media conference today to be inducted and very humbled to be so. Um, but it's fantastic to acknowledge someone who, you know, we talk about curling as being a lifetime sport. And I've always said that at clinics I've gone to or in schools. Um, but really Ernie's contribution in, in you know, growing the two-person stick curling uh, really extends that, right? So people that are, are not as able to, to throw the rock uh, on the ice now can extend their curling uh, both recreationally and competitively by many, many years through the through the stick league. So fantastic contribution, and then we're really excited to be inducting uh, to Ernie. And, uh, and, and Resby. Go ahead. Resby, yeah. When when and of course, Resby was part of the the Manitoba Curling Hall of Fame board of directors, so we all know him very well. But when we got the uh, 
nomination for Resby. Uh, it was just pages and pages and pages. And, and really, he's been involved in, in curling since 1969 when he became the uh, I think the intramural curling coordinator at University of Manitoba, and he's been involved with the, the Manitoba curling, uh, Canadian curling. Uh, he's represented Canada in the international curling, uh, uh, World Curling Federation's annual and semi-annual meetings. Um, he's, I think he's um, emceed over 100 uh, championship uh, um, uh, banquets over the years all over Manitoba, some in Canada and some as far as uh, New Zealand. Uh, and a little known that, that Resby, if he's listening, will be happy that I'm saying is Resby is also quite a good curler himself. And I believe he lost a Manitoba championship in 1981. I think he played lead for Murray Nye and they lost to uh, Kerry Birdnick. So uh, some people don't realize that, that Resby was a, a very good curler himself and he'll downplay that. But um you know, Resby, I think, has become the new voice of uh, of curling in Manitoba since we lost Bob Pickin uh, last year, and, and people will remember Bob very fondly. But Resby is is now um, uh, the voice of curling in Manitoba and, and across the country. I really believe, and his contributions. Uh, I mean, I could list off the number of. Um, events that he's chaired or been involved with, but it would take us a, a lot longer than I have. But just a, just a terrific um, uh, ambassador and builder of the sport of curling uh, in Manitoba and across the country. Well, Peter, I appreciate your time tonight. Thanks for joining me. The uh, banquet coming up Sunday, May 3rd at Canada's Polo Park. Have a great time, and uh, we'll talk to you again later on. Okay, thanks so much for having us on. Now, this weekend... One of the better wildcard weekends we've ever seen in the NFL. Let's waste no time and get to all the nail-biting action in the wildcard recap. Starting with the Bills and Texans in Houston, who always gets the early Saturday slot because nobody cares. Buffalo with the razzle-dazzle to start. Quarterback Josh Allen with a touchdown catch. Let's just fast forward to the third because Houston did 16-0. And remember, one of the most famous comebacks in league history, Bills over the Houston Oilers, the city waiting 27 years for revenge. And Deshaun Watson leads them back. A touchdown, a two-point conversion, a field goal, a touchdown, a two-point conversion. It's Houston by three, and that's when all holy and competent hell breaks loose. Bills. Close to field goal range to tie. Then a loss of two and a loss of eight. Instead of punting, they go for it on fourth and 25. Are they stupid? Yeah, they got sacked. And that's got to be the game. Except Houston goes for it on fourth and one, doesn't get it. And Buffalo gets a second topsy-turvy crack at it. They get the field goal overtime. And the Bills are getting close. And of course, they take a dumb penalty and Buffalo forgets how to play defense. And then a third and 18 conversion. And the Watson with a Houdini effort. Break out of a sack. That's the legacy play of the game. The Texans win. The Bills haven't won a playoff game since 1995 before their quarterback was born. The Foxborough, where people were wondering if this could be the end of the Brady-Belichick era. Could the Titans slay the Patriots? A bit of a newsworthy first half, honestly. Pats up 10-7. Looks like they're going to get it done. They're driving to the goal line. They're going to punch it in. Or not a goal line stand. And a Titans sustained touchdown drive. Tennessee leads at the half because they're running back Derrick Henry, who is about seven feet tall and 300 pounds of pure muscle, is unstoppable. Just give him the ball every play. 
skip ahead, a punt, a punt, a punt, a punt, a punt, and the Pats have the ball late. All they need is a field goal. It's Tom bleeping Brady! Of course he's going to do it, but, but he can't. Julian Edelman with a big drop, and that does it. A last-second pick, six. The Titans win by seven. Down goes New England. Is this the end? I, I doubt it, but let's continue. The bastion of my anxiety in New Orleans. The Saints heavy favorites against my beloved Vikings. Kirk Cousins, he always loses big games. So why would this be any different? Except the Saints are actually not that great in the playoffs. Sneakily. Drew Brees with the lead, but then a dumb interception. And the Vikings are up by three at the half. And they're up by ten entering the fourth. What could go wrong? Every and all Vikings fans thinking, how will they screw this up? Well... The jacked-up NFL equivalent of Chris Streveler is how. Saints third-string QB Taysom Hill, a mountain of a man, is wide open. He's a receiver. Cuts the lead to three. The Saints then get the ball back, and they fumble. Let the Vikings get it back. Give it back to them again. Some stupid clock mismanagement, and they score to go to overtime. Flashback 10 years ago, as much as I don't want to, these two teams. Overtime. Saints win the toss. They score a field goal. Game over. And they change the OT rules so that you need to score a TD on the opening drive to end it. The Minnesota. They win the toss. Kirk Cousins. The throw of his life. But then, first and goal. Nothing. Second and goal. Nothing. They can't kick a field goal. Come on. Get it in the end zone. A lob. The corner. It's a touchdown. Was it offensive pass interference? Probably. Maybe. I don't know. I don't think so. Saints fans feel jobbed again, but they have only their team to blame. They didn't play that well. Minnesota on to San Francisco and now to Philly, where the not really that good at all Eagles hosting a Seahawks team that always wins close. A rematch of a brutal game on Great Cup Sunday that Seattle won 17-9 and keep that number in mind. And since pretty much every important Eagles player is hurt, why not the quarterback too? Throw him in there. Carson Wentz hit in the head. He's out for the game. And 17-year veteran Josh McCowan, the 40-year-old playoff virgin, makes his first ever postseason appearance. The oldest any quarterback losing his playoff virginity has ever been. And he was, uh, he was okay. Seattle, they get ahead 17-6, but here comes McCowan. They get a field goal. They're down by one possession. A Disney movie in the making. But like... Many virgins before him. McCown, a lot of trouble pushing it across the goal line. Fourth down in field goal range. They go for it. They don't get it. Hmm. Same thing a couple minutes later. Now they have to go for it. And they don't get it. Final score, 17-9. Again. Second time in this season. And thanks to NBC for this one. The first time in NFL playoff history, a road team has won a game between two teams nicknamed after birds. Home team was previously 10-0. In their own nest, the Seahawks come and pluck the eggs away. That's the only stat that matters. So, home teams, one and three. And really, probably should have been 0 and 4 if Buffalo didn't poop the bet. You kind of feel bad for Buffalo, they're, but they're set up for the future. Josh Allen did not look comfortable in that spotlight. He had that opening drive. And this sometimes is what happens with quarterbacks that are less comfortable. They script the opening drive and they look great. Kind of happened with Tennessee too. But then once the script is gone that they had a whole week to work on, it gets a little weird. The lateral to a, a stunned tight end late in the game. What was that? It was such a roller coaster of stupidity. But Houston goes to Kansas City. A lot of the chatter in the States isn't about the winners. It's about the fact the Patriots lost. Tom Brady's old. He's a free agent. 
I personally think he'll be back with the Patriots next year. They need some weapons. He's got no one to throw to. Antonio Brown would have been good, except he's a nutcase. And Josh Gordon, also, he was released. They got no one to throw to. They really miss Rob Gronkowski. How about the Saints? Big upset. Drew Brees is 8-8 eight eight in the playoffs in his career. It's not great. A lot of close losses since that Super Bowl win. The Vikings, their first playoff win in 15 years. Kirk Cousins. I got three words for you. You like that? I do like that, Kirk. Thank you very much. And what about Philly? Josh McCown. He handed the ball to Emmett Smith for his final touchdown. Emmett Smith's been in the Hall of Fame for 10 years. He also threw it to Larry Fitzgerald for his first TD. Amazingly, 17 years to make his playoff debut. He was with the Panthers in 08. Didn't get any playing time behind Jake DeLome. And he was emotional today, yesterday after the game. You know, I'll probably reflect on that later. Um, and again, you know, probably with a sour taste. Uh, but but thankful. Um, yeah, thankful. Uh, just, you know, um, my wife and my family have moved around a lot and been, been a lot and been there for me. And so, um, and mom and dad and... and uh, so to go out there and get to play in a playoff game was special. And uh, and I can't thank them enough for their support. And uh, it was it was, uh, it was a heck of a ride. I left it all out there. I know that much. Um, this, uh, it's different playing at 40. Um, so your body talks to you a lot. And, uh, and um, you know, uh, I think... Um, I think more than anything, it was that was. I think I'll reflect on that later. But it was fun to be out there. Kind of a winnable game for sure. But hey, the playoffs. There's all four of those games this weekend were there to be had. Two of them go to overtime, and that leaves us with this: a divisional round slate with some big spreads. San Francisco, Minnesota is the mid-afternoon game Saturday, three thirty start. San Francisco right now is six and a half point favorite. Uh, you can find about f- probably half point to point variances depending on where you look at the spreads. This is probably from a few hours ago. It's the sixth meeting between the two teams in the playoffs. All of them in the divisional round. 1970, 87, 88, 89, 98. All but the first in San Francisco. The Niners have won four of the five. The lone exception was in 1987 when the Vikings won in New Orleans. Then one in San Francisco, sound familiar? And then the analogy ends because they lost in Washington in the championship game. Baltimore, nine and a half point favorites at home against Tennessee. The late game Saturday, fourth meeting between the two teams in the playoffs, 2000 divisional in Tennessee. Baltimore won that one, the 03 wild card in Baltimore. And then the 08 divisional in Tennessee. Baltimore has won two of their three matchups. Nine and a half is a lot of points. But sometimes we make overreactions in the wild card round. We think one thing and then boom. Baltimore wins by 30. Kansas City. This one's huge too. Nine and a half point favorites. At home against Houston. They've only met once before and it was a terrible game. Kansas City winning the 2015 wild card game. 30 to zip in Houston. And then the one people probably thinks the game of the weekend. That's Green Bay Seattle. Fourth meeting between the two. 
03 wildcard game in overtime in Green Bay. Want the ball, we're going to score. And then Al Harris picks off Matt Hasselbeck. 07 divisional in Green Bay was a blowout for the Packers. And then the championship game in 2014, the overtime win, huge comeback for the Seahawks. And then they, of course, lost in the Super Bowl when Marshawn Lynch didn't get the ball at the one. Lynch is back also with the Seahawks. They cannot run the ball. So as a Vikings fan, I think they have a chance to win in San Francisco. I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo scares me. Definitely have to make a bet with Phil Aubrey. Power 97. Our power parlay this week is going to be special because he is a Niners fan. I'm a Vikings fan. Got to put something on the line for this one for sure. Tune into the CGOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 with me, Christian O'Mell, or you can download the podcast on iTunes. It's actually on iTunes now. Wow. If you got an Android, then I dig you're out of luck, but Apple products, you're good. So listen to the podcast. Please subscribe. You can rate it. What's the worst that could happen?